0: Kia ora and welcome. This is the New Zealand Wine Podcast and I'm Boris Lamont. Thanks for joining us for this episode where we head north and record on-site at the Providence Winery in Matakana, north of Auckland, New Zealand. We're speaking with Jim Vilitich, who out of a great love for Bordeaux Wines founded the Providence Winery and is passionately involved in the whole process through to managing the vines, to blending and wine making. And at the end of the podcast, we also speak with Jim's daughter, Christina. So right now, let's head north to Matakana and have a chat with Jim and Christina Vuletic from Providence Wines. So, why did I get into wine? Is that it? Yes. What was it initially? Because you, you haven't been making wine all your life, have you?
1: Pretty well, because my father and mother had a vineyard when I was a child. Okay. Where was that? That was in Glenfield.
0: Oh, in Glenfield. Yes. Wow. So the vineyards in Glenfield.
1: Yeah, there was, and uh, on the North Shore there was three vineyards. There was one in, uh, two in Glenfield, mm-hmm. and one on um, East Coast Road in myrangi Bay. Right. Okay. Opposite the golf course.
0: Right, and they wouldn't be there now because it's um, very urbanised. No,
1: the uh, one in Glenfield was a chap, Charlie, and he closed. Or I suppose it's, it it was the nineteen. Sixties when he closed, mm-hmm. and of course Tony Buncher died up in uh, East Coast Road, and his son sold the uh, property about twenty years ago for urban development
0: right okay okay and um what what um, what varietals were the, did they have on the property?
1: well, in those days it was the american hybrid 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 varieties, namely usually Tintara and Siebel mm-hmm. but other people also also grew you, would grow some white grapes, which were usually uh, Palomino, and uh, there was one or two other varieties, but we didn't grow the uh, classical varieties such as Riesling or Cabernet Sauvignon. That was sort of unknown. Mm -hmm. Basically speaking, people grew grapes which produced a lot of fruit, a lot of wine, and berries. We must remember that in those days the demand was for sweet fortified wines. Right. So you needed to make
0: plenty of it yeah. from your property. Yeah. <laughs> and it was all all for local consumption.
1: Yes. No. Mm. New Zealand never exported any wine at all. It was all local consumption.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay. Do you remember having an interest in in wine from then? Did you Did you think back then that that's what you may end up doing?
1: Well. No, not really, Uh, it's just something I like doing, but in in those days, basically you made two types of wine, you made one for the commercial market, the cherries and the ports, and you made a different wine, a table wine, for the the household, because Mm -hmm. we were not accustomed to drinking sweet wines, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas the, um, you might say the Anglo, for want of a better term, the Anglo-Saxon population, they liked
0: sweet, strong, fortified wines. Mm -hmm. Okay. And where to from there? What was um, what was next for you? So,
1: well, I was sort of I was raised in a vineyard. We worked in the vineyard before school and after school and over our holidays and so on. That was just quite normal for most of the people, like myself, who was first generation. We all knew how to use a grubber, how to use a hoe, and how to drive a tractor. And so basically speaking, we all knew knew how to work the soil because we had worked uh, the soil in our vineyards. And in those days, everybody had their own gardens at home and nobody really bought much uh, from the shops. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fruit, vegetables were basically grown at home. So as kids, you learned how to do it. So um, in in relation to wine... um, I've always liked growing grapes. It's always been an interesting thing. I don't mind growing tomatoes and other things too, but grapes uh, have a fascination. Mm-hmm. Main, probably one of the, it's, they're probably one of the last things that you can grow yourself, um, harvest the fruit, process it, and then market it. Whereas, uh, unfortunately, if you look at a dairy farmer, the dairy farmer produces milk, It leaves the property. He has no idea what happens to the milk at all. All he's interested is in the payout for Frontera. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can imagine it would be wonderful to be a dairy farmer, make your own cheese uh, and things like that, and then have people come and buy it from your farm and people who would really appreciate it and who would be prepared to pay a premium and you could live well and make something that was yours all the way through. Mm. But unfortunately that is, has not been the case with the dairy industry up until recently. Mm. With wine, it is uh, to some degree, to a, greater or, to a greater degree, it has remained like that where you can grow it, harvest it, produce it, and market it mm. and have someone tell you how they appreciate it,
0: mm. which is always nice. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely, and, and, and be able to uh, know yourself what the final product tastes like. Mm-hmm. and And how it is, and uh you know even be able to hang on to it for a few years and see what happens to it, whereas you know with as you 're saying with other products, they just disappear you know the 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 grower doesn 't really know what what 's happened to the to um to what what he 's been working with mm. mm.
1: that 's correct also we don 't have the infrastructure um, on the agricultural side we don 't we have the Saturday markets now,
0: which we never had a few years ago, but that 's become the vogue. So that, so, yeah, so that that's obviously very very important for you. That whole process of growing right through right, right through the bottle. Well, is, yes, it's. Uh, I'm not interested in making
1: an industrial product and losing it out in the big wide world. I'm interested in making something that is individual and really is really to be the best that it can be, and uh, no comp- with no compromises. It must be the best. Mm.
0: Mm. So just um, just jumping back then to um, to from Glenfield to here, um, what were the steps? What were the steps along the way? I mean, I know you're up um, you're up north as well for some time. Was there um, wine involved in that part of your life as well? Well.
1: Before I moved to, our family moved to Auckland, although we we still kept our farm in uh, Brindowen for a number of years. but uh, we moved to Auckland when I was twelve years old, and the reason for the, my father moving was that there 'd be better educational opportunities for for us right. three boys, yeah so that was so uh, <clears throat> We re- retained our farm up there for a good few years. I went to high school in Auckland. We had the vineyard in Auckland. Mm-hmm. And uh, up at, at Brindu my father had a general store, but we also grew some We also grew some grapes. But he made a little bit of wine for himself, but that was all.
0: Right, right, okay.
1: And then once in, in Auckland, once I finished high school, I went to university and uh, st- studied law and qualified and practiced law for many years. But uh, all during that time I practiced law, I always retained an interest in the vineyard. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, We always worked in the vineyard and took care of the vineyard and so on. And then in 1976, I bought a property up here in Matakana and established a vineyard with my younger brother. And unfortunately, after a few years, we... uh, we had a disagreement and we parted company uh, and uh, I bought this property here at uh, where Providence is now mm-hmm. back in 1990. 1990. So I've really grown grapes all my life. There was a period when my father's property was sold for urban development. Um, uh, there was a period of about – Four years when I was not involved in growing grapes. Right,
0: right, okay. Just, just the four years. And and so what? Uh, what drew you up to here? What drew you up to Madukana?
1: Well, my fa- my father had been visiting Matacana in the before World War Two. He had come here to see a friend, and uh, he'd stayed for a couple of weeks. And noted that it was in a rain shadow, and he happened to mention if you ever want to grow grapes somewhere, Matakana would be a good place. Mm. And uh, this was just at the time he was selling the Wairau Road property.
0: Okay. Okay. And so that obviously stuck with you. And you just, um, ha- how did you come across the, um, the land up here? You, you, were you looking for some time? Mm-hmm. Um, did you have anything particularly in mind of, mm-hmm. as to what you were looking for? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I knew what I was looking for, but uh, one of the features of Matukana or of this area was that there used to be um, a met station out at Lee, and uh, that was closed down forty, probably about forty years ago. Probably around about nineteen seventy that was closed down. But I had the rec- I used to have the records of that met station, and the sunshine hours in, in Lee are often higher than uh, Nelson. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the, uh, as far as sunshine hours are concerned, um, it can match. It can match Nelson. Right. Okay. So, yeah. so
0: one one of the one of the highest in in New Zealand. In New Zealand, yeah. it is yeah. one of the highest in
1: New Zealand. Mm. Yes. And uh, so, when we came here, we or we planted a vineyard at Tung Farm Road, which was called the Antipodean. And uh, sub- But subsequently when our partnership broke up I was looking for a a plot of land where I could continue or where I could establish another vineyard and I knew uh, what I was looking for from the viewpoint of what was underneath the soil. I was looking for uh, a volcanic or clay of volcanic origin which is high in iron compounds. But, I'd, but um, more importantly, um, I'd figured out from the other vineyard which grapes to plant and which grapes not to plant. On the original vineyard, we had planted Cabernet, Sauvignon, Merlot and Malbec. Cabernet Sauvignon, of course, was reasonably well known in Hawke's Bay, but not up here. Uh, Merlot was uh, not so well known. Malbec was pretty well absolutely unknown. Well, it became obvious at the other vineyard that uh, the conditions suited Merlot and suited the Malbec. I was not convinced that the conditions were suitable or ideal for Cabernet Sauvignon. So when I established the vineyard here, I decided to plant the vineyard about 70% Merlot, 20% Cabernet Franc, and 10% Malbec. The Merlot and the Malbec I knew would succeed from the previous experience, but the Cabernet Franc was completely new to me. Uh, there's, there was very little Cabernet Franc in the country. The, the variety was there, but nobody had really planted it or done anything with it. So I decided to try the Cabernet Franc, mm-hmm. and it certainly turned out that uh, Cabernet Franc Suits the clay soils of the area, and um, I knew from looking at Bordeaux Cabernet Franc is in, in Saint Emilion, and Saint Saint Emilion is <clears throat> largely clay soils. So uh, I I had an indication that Cabernet Franc would suit clay soils, mm-hmm. and it turned out to be correct.
0: Right, right, okay. And just and just on that um, on that sort of Bordeaux. Connection? Do do you see some similarities? Um, you've obviously mentioned the soil. Do you see other similarities to um, Bordeaux and where you are here? Mm. Well, Bordeaux is a maritime climate, mm-hmm.
1: being located where it is. We're a maritime climate, mm-hmm. being located where we are.
0: Because mm. we're how far are we from the coast here? As, mm. as the crow flies, kilometer right? Yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep. That's very one kilometer,
1: and the ocean really is around. Two and a half sides of the vineyard, three sides almost. And mm-hmm. uh, then, of course, there is a, a, a big difference between Bordeaux and here, and that is that Bordeaux has a continent behind it, mm-hmm. whereas we have, what, 30 kilometers of land, and then we, then you hit the Tasman Sea. On the other side, yeah. So we are even more maritime. Mm. And um, the effect of that is that we do not get the high temperatures in the summertime. Um, we, our maximum temperature is… Absolute maximum would be 33 degrees, mm-hmm. and but the normal maximum is about uh, 30 degrees. Mm-hmm. Where, of course, if you have a continent behind you or a landmass behind you, you get a bigger extreme at yeah. that point. It's in our case, it's the oceanic influence modifies it so we don't get 35 degrees or anything like that,
0: right? Apart from um, just this area being suitable for the Bordeaux varietals, um, is there something personally for you um, that attracts, attracts you to the Bordeaux blend of wine? Well, for me,
1: Bordeaux, the great Bordeauxs are the ultimate wines. Mm-hmm. I know for a lot of people, they say it's Burgundy, and yes, I will agree that when a Burgundy is fantastic, it is really fantastic, but by God, it's hard to find one. <laughs> whereas, <laughs> uh, whereas with Bordeaux, it's not so hard to find really great
0: wine. Right, okay, yeah. Okay. So you think for you, the experience of the quality of Bordeaux is much more consistent?
1: Yes, that would right. be a fair, way, a fair way of putting it. And also, mm. um, the great Bordeaux, we could think of, uh, just to mention one or two, uh, just uh, say Chevrolet, Blanc Lafitte, Latour, Margot, etc., Aubryon, they produce a lot of wine. Since they're producing fifteen, twenty thousand cases, yep. which is a lot of wine, so therefore it's it's there in front of you. Yep. Whereas the great Burgundies uh, um, are very few, and in very and the production is very small because they're very small parcels. Whereas Bordeaux has got this high quality on a we won't say a a, a massive scale, but a larger scale. Right,
0: right, okay, okay, and is is there something that you've been looking to attain or or achieve with your blend and with what you're doing here at, um, at Providence?
1: Well, I want to make a wine that can stand side by side or be on the same playing field with the as the great Bordeauxs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That has has always been my intention and always been my am- ambition. I must be able to put a bottle of Providence right next to a bottle of great Bordeaux and it's and it must stand up to it, mm-hmm. and and not leave me embarrassed. Okay,
0: okay. For for
1: example, in Switzerland recently, we had ninety-four Chateau Petrus and ninety-four Providence side by side. The same tasting, ninety-nine Cheval Blanc with ninety-nine Providence, uh, two thousand and five Providence, two thousand and five Chateau Figeac and uh, 2010 Providence with 2010 Chateau Angelus. And all I can say is, at no point did I feel embarrassed. Right, very good. That's, um, that's quite an achievement. Now, which were, which wine is the best of it and all that sort of thing, that depends on the individual's viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I had people said to me that the best wine at, the, at this tasting was the Providence all the way through, but... I thought the best wine was a Chauvel Blanc, but that's my, that's my opinion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, that's very generous. So
1: at the end of the day, uh, it's wine drinking or tasting wine is subjective. Mm. It's like art. Mm-hmm. It's subjective. Mm. If you're interested in collecting art 50 years ago when you were 20 years old, you look at the modern paintings today, you've got no interest in them. It's a bit like music, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> there's no there, there's no similarity between Elvis Presley and Amy Winehouse, but we loved Elvis, and and my generation not so keen on her. Not to not to say she wasn't; she's not brilliant, but it's just it's yes. a subjective
0: thing. Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. And and um, and so you're involved in the process the whole way. So you're working out there in the vineyard. Um, now and right, right through to blending mm-hmm.
1: and bottling. Well, to make great wine, in my opinion, you must work in your vineyard. It's when you work in your vineyard you see what is going on in the vineyard, and you can you understand your vineyard. Just to occasionally walk through the vineyard is no more than a cursory look at it, and you don't really know what goes on. For example, this morning I started at um, 8 o'clock, started mowing the vineyard just before you guys came. And uh, when you sit on the tractor and you look down on the vines as you drive up and down the row, you get a picture in your mind and you observe things, which, which, and you get a a whole overview of your vineyard, because you've gone up and down every row and you look down on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You do not get this by taking an occasional walk once a week or once a fortnight. So Mm -hmm. for me, you must put your behind on the tractor seat to understand the vineyard. And for me to have a vineyard manager as such who doesn't, wouldn't do that, forget about it Mm -hmm. because uh, he doesn't really know what's happening in the vineyard i'm on the tractor i do have a a a a vineyard manager as well who helps make the wine and so on but we both do everything we both are on the tractor he's on i'm off i'm on he's off because that's the way i insist to keep an eye on the vineyard Mm -hmm. and I, i also, I just like working the vineyard. Right, it's it's right. not it's, For me to be on the tractor all day is not a day's work. Right, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. So it's and anything you do in life that is really interesting is not work. Hmm. No, At the end of the not. day, it's not a day's work.
0: And and then then after that, um, when it comes harvest time, what's um what's your involvement then?
1: Well, um, basically speaking, I make the dis- well. I make the decision when we should pick the grapes, but over the years, I've, I've always picked my grapes on taste. I do not analyze. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and I've taught my, the people who work for me to do exactly the same. So when I say that I decide when the grapes are going to be picked as I practice, I'd be sitting in my office and the per, per, the, my employee would phone me and say, I think the flavor of the grapes has changed. You better come up and try them. Right. And sure enough, they had. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you might – I'm not sure it was me who made the decision or the employee. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the, the the truth – on wine and on food is, what's on, is what you taste on the tip of your tongue. All the scientific parameters really mean nothing. They mean a lot for mass-produced stuff because you must be able to, you must have the systems in place to produce things on, on mass or else it ends up being a disaster. But when you're uh, relatively small, you can make that personal decision. So we do it on, we do it, the decision is made on the tongue and not... Not on a laboratory analysis. I don't. I do not do any laboratory analysis of the grapes.
0: Mm, okay, mm-hmm. okay. And then um, the decision after after harvest around. Well, after harvest, or
1: well, after the grapes have been picked, then then it's a, a question of fermentation of um, processing the grapes, destemming, and uh, getting the grapes into fermentation vats. Mm-hmm. The we let nature really just carry on, and we work along with nature in a sense that you need to keep the cap wet on the fermenting vat, so it doesn 't dry out and bacteria gets in so we do a a plunge a rumage every uh, four hours day and night as part of our wine making process so really it 's taking care of the of the wine rather than trying to create a style i don't cry, I do not try and create a style of wine when I hate it. I cringe when someone says you make wine in that style because I'm not trying to make wine in a style. That's New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is a style. Everyone talks the style. And uh, for me, that's a disaster because you manipulate it. It's got nothing to do with the terroir. It's got nothing to do with the climate. You, 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 you sulfur the hell out of it. You introduce a yeast to give it a pineapple taste or a, another yeast to give it a peach influence, another one to give it a, a maybe a mango influence, whatever, whatever, however you want to describe the various influences uh, that, that, uh, that people find in wine. Just to cast an aside... I'm sure. Forty years ago, wine was described in about thirty words. Now it's about five or six or ten thousand words. It gets more and more and more. From forest floor to this to that to the other, it's it's people describe it, the way wines are described today is ridiculous. No, you can't taste it. You can't smell any of those things. You can't taste any of those things. But everybody's inventing a new a new word. <laughs> anyway, um, so. I'm not trying to make a style. I'm just trying to make the best wine possible from grapes grown on this land. Right. So that the wine will truly reflect the character and the individuality of the
0: land. Right. Okay. Okay. So that process then sort of through fermentation is about you then understanding what it is that you've been given for that particular particular vintage. putting it
1: in a nutshell that's about it because we're not we're not uh, adding anything to the wine and we're not taking anything out of the wine mm-hmm. so the juice the the juice will convert into wine of that year the mm-hmm. juice of that year will convert into wine of that year when you introduce mechanical processing and change the nature of the grapes if you're true to yourself you have got to admit that that wine no longer represents the climate of that year or where that where those grapes are grown. You have manipulated it, and you are making a
0: product. Right. You are so, making Coca Cola. Right. So it's, it's important for you to that, that purity of, 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 of what it is that um, that year mm. has, has dished up has served up. Yes, uh, yes. Some years um, will be
1: better than others. Mm. Uh, that's just uh, that's just uh, nature. Mm-hmm. If you work with nature. And uh, just as in some years, if you if you ha- if you're a dairy farmer making your own cheese, some years the cheese would be different because the grass is more lush that spring or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it depends yeah, sure. on, on what nature gives you.
0: And and what about the blend itself? The um, you know the proportion of um, of varietals that you have, and that when's, how's that decision come about for you? Well, I have being a small vineyard.
1: You pick everything perfectly. So there is no, I do not have a second wine. Mm -hmm. Either the wine is all of one, good, very good, or brilliant. All of the other, just lousy that year. (laughs) (laughs) There's no half ways. Different if you have a big vineyard and you're picking over an extended period of time, Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe like the Bordeaux Chateaus who are picking over an extended period of time, you might end up having um, good weather at the beginning, and bad towards the end, mm-hmm. or bad at the beginning and good towards the end. So you'll have different um, – uh, uh, you'll have these, these different parameters. But we we are quite very small, so we don't have that – we don't have that uh, – uh, not, not so much a problem. We just don't have that feature. Mm-hmm. So, so then – so, therefore, if all the if all the fruit is all, all the wine, or the fruit is perfect, the resulting wine is is just is the, is perfect. The question is, what is the correct blend? Hmm. We all talk about that. What might be the the best blend when you bottle it may not end up being the best blend in the once it's been five years or ten mm. years in the bottle. Mm. So, all you can say it's the best at the time you. Bottle. Yes. Uh, so, if I've tried bottling small amounts in different blends and marking which one I thought was the best blend, but five years later uh, I've changed my mind and the one which I bottled as the best blend as far as I was concerned, is not as good as the one that I only did 10 bottles of. Right. So maybe I should have done that blend. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, you can't know, go back there. <laughs> you can't go back, you know. All you can do... Uh, well, um, there's Professor John Morton many years ago. He was a... A lot of people around Auckland know who he, who who he was. He was quite a personality. When I was at high school, he delivered... A, a speech at the high school as a guest speaker and he was he he was introduced as an expert in zoology and i was probably 15 16 years old at the time and i remember john morton saying to the headmaster who introduced him as an expert and thanked him for introducing him as as an expert. But then he turned around and said, of course, the definition of expert is X being the unknown quantity and spurt being a drip under pressure. (laughs) <laughs> and that stayed with me since about since I was about 15 or 16 years old so I started high school in 1959 so it was uh, it's about 1960 or 60, uh probably 61 when I heard this That's <laughs> great. Yeah, Professor Morton died about 4 or 5 years ago. He lived for a good old age.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. Yeah. Um, so we've, sort of, we've we we skipped ahead to bottling, but just yeah. in between that. So, um, so
1: when I assemble the wine,
0: I'm the drip under pressure. Yeah. You see? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's still a very natural process. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we, we sort of jumped ahead to bottling. But what sort of impacts the decisions for you, or is it fairly consistent around um, what you what you do with the blend as to how long you leave it. You know, under in the vat or Mm -hmm. under oak, or
1: well, the length of time in the vat is dictated by the speed and the characteristics of the fermentation. Mm -hmm. In um, my experiences, in the extraordinarily good years, the fermentation is slower and longer. Mm -hmm. It is just the way it is. I don't know why. Why? Why should it be that that fermentation would take a week longer? Uh, or four or five days longer in the in the brilliant years over the other years then when we put it into the vats and i use 100% new oak every year i never use oak for a second year uh, i have a strong opinion about that if you have the quality of juice uh, or fermented juice to go into the the vat in, into the barriques to get the maximum you need to have new barriques it's going to give what it's going to give Brand new. When it's been used once, it can no longer give what it could give when it was new. Mm-hmm. It's pretty simple. But in all this reshaving of barrels and all that is not the same um, because you know, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, once it's in the in the barriques, so we'll go back to fermentation. So basically speaking, the length of fermentation is controlled by what nature does. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. then um, once it 's in the briques, we do racking every three months to clarify the wine mm-hmm. and that clarifies slowly over the period of the two years that it 's in the bris. basically speaking, the wine is in the bris uh, 22, twenty two twenty four months depending on the depending on the year i never We never touch the wine in bad weather; we only handle the wine for racking and that sort of processes in good weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, old, the old boys knew that, uh, well, it was known 200 years ago, if you, if you want to have clear wine, you only touch it when there's fine, fine still weather, which means high barometric pressure. Okay. You don't touch it in low barometric pressure. Mm. And uh, certainly about 50 years ago or so, the uh, scientific world in France discovered Why? Okay. So the, the old boys were right anecdotally, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the, and you know three or four or five hundred years later the scientific world catches up to them, but they didn't understand it, but they knew it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the many things in life are like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, how long in the breaks depends on the year, also depends on the weather. If it's lousy weather. And uh, we won't touch a wine, so it will spend another. Might spend another month or two in the breque, but it doesn't really make any difference if you have a wine that has got the, for want of a better word, con, has really got the constitution. It it will never get overoaked. Mm. Uh, for example, at twelve months, you can taste the twelve months in the new barrique, You can taste the oak and you can smell the oak, but once eighteen months comes either one of one or two either one of of two things happens either the oak disappears or the wine that's number 1 or the second thing is the wine overwhelms the oak because in its evolution it's got the constitution to overwhelm the oak so the wine does not come uh, o- over-oaked mm-hmm. after twenty four months in the barrique. Uh whereas if the wine doesn 't have the constitution it 's always over-oaked at every point right because the wine never comes and overwhelms the oak, mm. whereas in my case, the wine comes forward and overwhelms the oak
0: and so when when in that time frame do you know uh, how good a year you 've you 've got sitting
1: there oh well basically speaking, you know how good the year is before you. The truth be right. told, before you pick the grapes, right, okay. the day you pick yeah. the grape, the yeah. day before you've decided to pick the grapes, you know it. You know, yeah. or should I say, the moment you say, "I'm going to, we're going to pick tomorrow," okay, you know it, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apart from the fact, and uh, apart from the fact that you can screw it up, right? You know it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you should have a good year. Yeah, yeah, you
1: know it, and it's like having really good meat, right and uh, and you're really good meat, you know the steak is going to be good. Right, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Unless you burn it <laughs> or overcook it on <laughs> the barbecue <laughs>
0: or something. All right. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, um, Jim. I do appreciate that. Appreciate your time. Thank you. So here we are at Providence in Matakana, and now we're speaking with Christina Vuletic. Welcome.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Nice to have you. Um, So, what's your involvement here with Providence?
2: So, I've been the Salarat for my whole life. Providence (laughs) Salarat. I think that's the best way to describe it. We've always been, my sister and I, yeah, the child labour of Providence. Um, My sister and I have always been up here. The vineyard, well, Dad started the vineyard in 1990 and, of course, I was born in 89. So, we had no choice, (laughs) Right so <laughs> in <just> the matter. <laughs>
0: always, always been part of your life. Yeah, yep. it
2: has in every way. And we've done, uh, we've always done everything mm-hmm. um, from making the wine to pruning to getting stuck in the summer holidays out leaf plucking. We've always been up here. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. But um, obviously, you're you're still involved. So there's um, there's something yes. that's keeping you here, keeping yes. you coming back. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I I. Do some of the online marketing stuff, mm-hmm. um, all our website stuff, everything to do with the web, social. So I tried to get that going. Our model's changing. The the way wine is sold is changing. So mm-hmm. I we we have we change we have to change to to keep up with what people want and how people want to buy.
0: Okay. So what what are mm. some of those? You mean just uh, buying across mm. the web and yeah, buying
2: yep. on the web. Um, the st- distributor model is. I think the last place it sort of works is in Japan really well, um, but selling straight to the end consumer is extremely valuable, and we can right and and we do very well out of that. You know, we have a really good customer base, a very a very um, tight customer base that like us. Right, okay. we like them a lot too. Right, okay, uh, and so, so that's that's what we do. Lots that's of, that's of loyalty sell them. there. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and so that's how we sell to them.
0: And uh, so, what does what does Providence mean to you?
2: I guess it's coming up to the vineyard, and my favorite thing to do is pruning mm-hmm. I think that's a good that's a good um, that's a good way to explain it is is just working working out in the vineyard and tending the vines that's it's uh yeah you're making a product you're seeing you're seeing what you work on go all the way through mm-hmm. and from pruning to getting up in front of a hundred people in Japan to explain your new vintage mm-hmm uh, that's what keeps me coming back. Right. It's an ex- it's an incredible experience, and we meet amazing people all mm. around the world. Mm.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, and that's something unique about it, isn't it? It's the, it's the um, every year, um, you know, from from seeing the buds right through to bringing a product to customers and seeing how they enjoy the product and interact with it, if you like.
2: And yeah. and how how hard we work. Mm. on it and they see they see how hard we work on it and mm-hmm. you know our love of it they see our love of our product and it, it goes through to them and they appreciate what we do mm-hmm. um, so it's it's certainly not easy
0: <laughs> no 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 it's not <laughs>
2: but but we wouldn't do anything else
0: um, and you're involved you're starting to get involved with the winemaking side I've as I've well. always,
2: always been involved with the winemaking mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, in fact uh, I have Planted some, or we have grafted over some Chardonnay. Oh, is it right? Grapes. So okay. that's a new one for Providence. So, and that's mm. my, um, that's my project. Okay. So I will be making the Chardonnay. Wow. From next year or the year after. So we yeah always been involved.
0: So, um, when was the Chardonnay planted?
2: Uh, we grafted it over. So mm-hmm. the we've we grafted over some Merlot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a really lovely deep root structure mm-hmm. so we grafted over chardonnay mm, two years ago mm-hmm. almost three years ago okay um, so it's sort of coming up I'm ready to go now okay well first vintage anyway very small yep um but we'll see what we get and so uh, we're in a particularly dry part of the vineyard with a deep root structure in it and we'll see what it does with the clay but i think it's it's in the best place it can be mm-hmm. for a chardonnay um I, yeah that's exciting yeah, we'll and,
0: and why chardonnay
2: it's my favourite okay. white wine. It's the <laughs> Good enough best reason. white wine in the world. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Good. Okay. And also um is it the Four Apostles you're you're involved yeah. with too?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we developed the Four Apostles, my sister and I, just um as a thought experiment. As an experiment really, uh mm-hmm. and oh five. And it's interesting on in about the five year mark, it. Integrates the Syrah integrates extremely well with the Private Reserve and mm-hmm. um, becomes its own wine. And people who were doubting do not doubt anymore. Right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Which is good.
0: So it needs that. It needs that five years. You think? Yeah.
2: To, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Providence really hits its stride at year ten. Mm. Okay. It's, yeah, that's when we really hit our stride. So yeah, it starts integrating, and then at the five-year mark, it, you can see the real length and characteristics of Providence come out mm-hmm. um, for the 10-year, for the 20-year mark. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, very good. And and um, the future for you with, with Providence? You...
2: Oh, I just, I'll come up and prune, pack wine. Hang out with else? your dad. Yeah, hang out, drink a few bottles of, I don't know, some Cheval Blanc if there's any around. <laughs> 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 it's always fun. Um, you haven't found it all yet. Not yeah, it's it's hidden. <laughs> yeah, so um, just we'll carry on. It's good fun, and yeah, we meet we meet great people. Mm, mm.
0: Very cool. Oh what? Well, um, I'm I'm personally excited to see what happens with the uh, with the Chardonnay.
2: Yes, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, there are a number of people around the world that are waiting with mm. bated breath. Mm. So fingers crossed.
0: Cool. All right. Thanks, Christina. Thank you. It's fantastic. We've been speaking with Jim and Christina Vuletic from Providence Wines in the sunny Matakana, north of Auckland, New Zealand. If you want to hear more about uh, any of the New Zealand podcasts, just check us out online. And if you're wanting to check out more about Providence Wines, you can look them up on com. Thanks for listening in. He kono mai. Bye for now.